ripped from the headlines. At the, uh, at the Green Bay Packers game recently, an African-American man was uh, photographed in a Colin Kaepernick jersey with a bandana wrapped around his right hand doing the black power salute and captured in this same image behind him is a blonde white woman giving him the middle finger salute. Our country was built on protest and this woman's about one step away from being the next barbecue Becky, right? You can't do that kind of stuff because there's cameras everywhere, right? But if you look deeper at the story, you see not only a man's protest, but a woman's counter-protest viewing his with contempt, saying in essence that she and her ideology is superior to his. And now she's going to be the racist blonde because they're going to find her, right? And she's going to be exposed publicly and is going to have to force some sort of a half-hearted confession in order to go on with her life. Things like that are not as uncommon as we suppose, because in this world of competing ideas, we find ourselves on different sides of issues, right? And uh, the thing is that we're correct, and everyone else is wrong. Jesus used stories to communicate, to educate, and to instruct. In Luke chapter 18, we come upon one of those stories intended to teach humility to people who desperately need it. So as we enter into this story in Luke chapter 18, I'd like to invite you this morning to consider your own biases and how it might be that you view the people around you with contempt. Now, I was ready with both barrels. I was going to come and blast you today, and you've been so nice. <laughs> but I think I'm still going to blast you. And it's, uh, it's entirely likely that I will step on your toes this morning. You're welcome. Luke 18 and verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. There you have it all in Luke's setup of the parable. Teaching us that Jesus taught on purpose and Jesus taught in a targeted way. He told the story to someone who desperately needed to hear the story. Which means that you and I are those who desperately need to hear the story because all of us are guilty 
of self-righteousness and of viewing the people around us with contempt. So listen to the story that Jesus told. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said in summary, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other four, and here's the punchline, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And it's almost like, yeah, amen. You got it, Wesley. It's like we could just say, at this point, any questions? I mean, it's pretty clear, right? And we love to sit in our Bible studies and say, those doggone Pharisees are terrible. God, I thank you that I'm not like the Pharisee who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the sinner. You see how that works? Automatically, instinctively, we place ourselves into a superior position so that we can feel better about ourselves. And Jesus said that is 180 degrees opposite of what I'm asking you to do. That is not the Christian life. That is not what it means to have humility. If you don't understand the political climate of the New Testament, the Pharisee was the equivalent of today's pastor. He was a minister. He was a religious leader. He was a seminary professor. He was someone who ought to have known better. He had his rules and he had his regulations. He had his policies and practices and procedures. And he had this scripted out life that insulated him from the rest of folks and that kept him close to the heart of God, supposedly. And the sinner, or the tax collector, was just sort of your average Jane or Joe on the street, kind of the down and outer, maybe couldn't make ends meet at the end of the month, maybe as an unsheltered person, maybe as someone living on the street, somebody that didn't have anything to bring, that didn't have any money, that didn't have any pedigree, they didn't have any education, and they just said, God, here I am. I don't even deserve to be here, but thanks for including me. Jesus said, that is how you ought to be. Like this, not like that. It's not that complicated, is it? But think back to our opening story and how these feelings of superiority creep in and corrupt us. Think about how we think about 
the people in our lives. Think about our own sense of bias and prejudice. And however you define and however you discern who is an insider and who is an outsider. Who is the person of privilege? Who's the one who's on the outside? Think about the ways that we think about that. Think about your attitudes, maybe not even things that make it to the surface, things maybe you're afraid to even verbalize in company, things that you might say to yourself. This is a part of our culture. It's a part of our training. It's a part of how we came up in this world. I'm a white kid from the Midwest. I grew up surrounded by other white kids. I have a deep racial bias that I contend with every day of my life. It was just built into me without my even knowing it. Think with me. Come on, let's get real. Let's get real. You're driving down the street, okay? Maybe you just come through the, uh, you just come through the tube and you're out into Oakland and there's somebody standing on the corner, right? And they've got their sign. Could be a woman, could be a man, could be any color, any culture. But what are they doing there? They're looking for something, right? And what are, what are you telling yourself about that individual? Stinking bum. Why don't you get a job? I work hard for my money. And she's here standing, looking, waiting. For a handout, she ought to go to work. Look at her. She looks like she's able-bodied. What's she doing standing out here begging? Is that the kind of stuff you're telling yourself when you drive past Tent City? Look at this filth. Look at all that trash. Oakland used to be a beautiful place. Now look at it. People living out on the streets. That's disgusting. Why don't they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, go out and get a job, get into some low-income housing. Man, I had to work hard for what I have. What's wrong with them? Maybe you don't even talk like that. But maybe you think like that. Think about race and people of color and assumptions that you have about them and their differences. I used to make fun of people who spoke in broken English. And then it occurred to me that these people are speaking in a second language and I only know one. You see, I wanted to make myself superior as someone well-educated, as someone thoroughly conversant with the English language, someone who knew the difference between your and your in a text message. And then I, and then I look at these folks who've come from other countries and they talk in broken English and I snicker and laugh until I think, man, I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak Chinese, I don't speak Tagalog. I don't speak any language but English. Who am I to place myself in a superior position to people who are doing that? Or even people have come from other nations. 
Look at what's happening in contemporary culture in terms of our view of the other, right? The immigrant. Build a wall. Keep them out. This is our place. We worked hard. We don't want them flooding our streets. We don't want them ruining our economy. We don't want them messing with our American dream. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute. We are immigrants. All of us are immigrants. If we are not native peoples indigenous to the United States, we're all immigrants. We all came from somewhere, Asia, Africa, Europe, the Middle East. Ain't none of us belong. None of us has a birthright to be here. This is not my land. I'm standing on someone else's. We just got there first and stole it from them and claimed it and said, now no one else can come and be a part of what we have. Think about the superiority and the arrogance in that. What a shame. Think about the way that those who are not sexual minorities view those who are. Think about our sense of bias traditionally in the evangelical church against the LGBTQ community. Man, we're open. Come on, y'all come. But you better change when you hit the door because uh, that ain't right. And that ain't right because it's, it's not my way. And the Bible says it's wrong. Thump, 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 the Bible. Don't you know that our forebearers, our Christian sisters and brothers who went before, raised the Bible and said, slavery, it's right there. It's in the Bible. It's, it's ordained of God. And the southern Christians railed against those who wanted to liberate the slaves. Slavery's in the Bible. It's a biblical institution. Be careful. My friends, how you use the scripture, you can't choose who you love. You can't just decide who you're going to be attracted. I mean, if you figure that out, let me know. Just because I'm attracted to someone different than you're attracted to, doesn't make it wrong, doesn't make you superior, doesn't make you right and me wrong. See how this works? I mean, I got all day. How long do you want to go? The church that I served prior to coming here was far more conservative. It was in a suburban context, and initially was a little bit more homogenous, but then began to transition and began to be more open. And one of the things that we did was a baby dedication service there. You know how we do that, right? Mom and dad have a baby. They bring it up for the blessing, and we pray, and it's cute. And the kid screams or maybe doesn't. Uh, we did a baby dedication for a single mother. It was the first time in that church. Why is that 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 would be so strange and so taboo that an unwed single mom 
would bring her baby up for blessing and have the church stand up and say, we stand with you. Okay, we don't judge your prior life decisions. We don't judge the fact that you got pregnant and there's no father in the picture. We don't judge the fact that you're going to have to struggle and strive and raise this child alone. We don't judge that because we've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We stand with you because we love you and we will support you in precisely the same way that we support dad, mom, baby, and the regular, typical, whatever a nuclear family is. That's how we roll. That's who we are. That's a part of our DNA. Jesus targeted people with his messages. He spoke directly to them. He looked into your eyes and he saw within your soul what was there and what was corrupt and what needed to be challenged and what needed to be cleansed. So think about that as you consider your way of being in the world. Think about even tipping that stuff upside down. We've looked at it all kind of one way, right? How we view those that we feel like we're better than. How about how we view those that we feel are somehow better than us? Think about the way that we feel in the Bay Area about the techies, right? The techies! They ruined our town! They gentrified Oakland. They came in with all of their money and they priced us out of the market. And, and, and they hate the techies way up in Oregon. They hate the techies in Idaho because the techies came in, blew up the market in the Bay Area, priced people out, so people cashed out and went to Oregon and ruined their economy. Did the same thing in Ohio, Reno, everywhere. It's, it's just, it's crazy. Those techie scum. Who is the techie? The hipster. Who are these individuals? They are individuals. Cast in the image of God. Think about the way that you think about people, the generalizations that you make, racial stereotyping that you've just accepted as a part of who you are. It's not acceptable. It's not something to celebrate. It's something to repudiate. It's something to challenge. It's something to change the way that you think about people Every time it happens in your mind, black people, Mexican people, Asian people, white people, fiery redheads, ditzy blondes, sexy brunettes, whatever it is, however you conceive it. People like that. People who are heavy. What do we tell ourselves? Man, look at that person. What is wrong with him? Why can't he control his eating? And we have no idea the struggle that that person contends with. The things that go on within that person's mind. Think about those struggling with addiction, alcoholism, 
Why can't they just get their crap together enough? All right? Why can't they just control it? I can control it. Why can't they? Do you see what that does? Automatically, instinctively, that places you in a superior position. That means that you're better than them. Guess what? You have no idea. You have no idea what another person contends with. You have no idea what their history is. You have never, no idea how they came into this world. You have no idea they're disadvantaged. Think about it, those of us who are European Americans, white people, white male. The advantage that I brought into this life, that I was born with, just because I was a white guy. I have no idea how that's helped me throughout my life, how I've taken advantage of that, and at the same time criticize those around me who didn't come into this world with that same advantage, rather than celebrating their difference, celebrating the struggle of the African American in the United States, celebrating the struggle of Latinos who've come as immigrants, who've worked hard to be in the place where they are, Asians who've come through struggle to be where they are, people who are living in a second or maybe a, a third culture. Why not celebrate? My God, this is good. I welcome you. You have every right to be here. Maybe more than my own. Sounds easy enough, right? But it really uh, hits us where we hurt where we're vulnerable. Because beneath that instinctive escape to a place of superiority is fear and inadequacy. Because if I felt okay about me, then I'd feel okay about you. If I believed in my heart that I belonged at the table, then I'd say there's a place for you at the table with me. I'd say you're my sister, you're my brother, and we belong. One of my BFs since I've moved to the Bay Area, you know, is Sidney Webster. I'm a white guy, right? Duh. She's an African-American woman. I learned so much from her things that I say without even batting an eye, and she calls me on them. She calls me out. I hope you have friends like that, people in your life who are different than you are, who've come from a different place, who have the courage to call you out on your arrogance and on your feelings of contempt for other people. Think about it in the religious world. We're a church, right? Some folks have been here for uh, three and four generations. Man, you came up in the church. This is your church. But you know what? The person who stumbles in off the street for the very first time, it's as much their church as it is yours. Any founding members here from 140 years ago? 
not my church. It's not your church. Church is the one institution that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet here. We're just keeping shop, waiting for those who are going to come. He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. The sinner said, Here I am. I've found my way. A pilgrim. I've come through struggle. I've come through adversity. I've kicked, scratched, and clawed my way into the presence of God. And guess what? I've found my way home. Unlike Bono, I have found what I'm looking for. And the Pharisee who says, God, look at everything that I've done. Look at my pedigree. Look what I do, this and that and the other. Look at me, look at me. I'm not like her. So we just have a choice, just a simple choice. How are we going to be in the world? Are we going to live as those who are threatened by the differences of others? Are we going to be embracing? Are we going to be made of Velcro so that all the other Velcro people can come and stick to us? Or are we going to be made like barbed wire that no one can come to? Duh. Heavenly Father, please give me a 2020 Chevrolet convertible <laughs> and bless our lives, God, as we stumble forward and become today a little bit less of a Pharisee, a little bit more of a publican. God, give us a solid sense of our worth and the worth of those around us, that we would see ourselves in the world right-sized, belonging, that we would understand the rights of others, that we would be inclusive and kind, compassionate, and understanding like the Jesus that we claim to follow. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.